today on Ag News Daily. Why do we need to build a different set of tools and algorithms for one particular use case, whether it's research and a different one for commercial? Welcome to Tech Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. This episode's brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart. Another good podcast for our listeners to listen to, Delaney. Absolutely, Tanner. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that uh, sounds like one that'll be right up our listeners' alley. Hopefully, they've got some time indoors to listen to that today. Every part of the country seems to have a different type of weather advisory in place. We've got Oklahoma and Arkansas that has flood watches and advisories for a large swath of their areas in place. Two to three inches of rain have already fallen and another inch is possible. Excessive runoff may result in flooding of rivers, creeks, streams, and low-lying prone flood-prone zones. We obviously talked about the western side of the U.S. having their flood coming from the aftermath of Hurricane Hillary. We're seeing right now Tropical Storm Herald is a tropical depression in the Gulf of Mexico. That tropical storm continues to churn towards southern side of Texas. Residents there will be bracing for heavy rain, flooding, powerful winds, and dangerous rip currents. Tropical Storm Herald had maximum sustained winds of 45 miles per hour this morning and said more than 1 million people are under the storm warnings there. And of course, we've got our record high temperatures. That heat dome is still parked over the Midwest. More than a third of Americans are under a heat alert as this monster heat dome stifles a huge swath of the central United States. Cities like Des Moines, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Little Rock, Dallas, all have a combinations of heat and humidity that will feel like temperatures above 110 to above 120 degrees. So lots of weather today. There is lots of weather, Tanner. And we've got an update here on the wildfire going on out in eastern Washington. A second person now has been found dead of the wildfires, which started last Friday. This has so far burned hundreds of structures and has closed a major section of their interstate there that goes to Spokane. But um, this fire in total, Tanner, has destroyed at least 265 structures and burned more than 53 square miles combined of the state. And they're still assessing damage. But Governor Inslee said on Monday that he talked to General or excuse me, talked to President Biden and FEMA about getting some federal dollars to help firefighting efforts as the fire is still not put out, Tanner. Yeah, that is not good news. We did see, finally, the sheets pulled off the Can-Am Maverick R. After months of leaks, Can-Am has finally released the 2024 Can-Am Maverick R. The machine packs a blistering 240 horsepower. A turbocharged inline three-cylinder engine gets all of that grunt to the ground from six lug 16-inch and tire, I'm sorry, from six lug wheels and 32-inch tires to get a ground clearance of 25 inches. Delaney, this is a big release for those that are fans of UTVs. The Rotax 999T engine is turbocharged and delivers 240 horsepower. 
eclipsing the Polaris RZ Pro at 225. So you can see there's a little competition between UTV manufacturers there. Continuing to stick with the CVT transmission, uh, real magic cornering comes from the upgraded suspension, the third generation of Fox line valve adaptive technology. And of course, the cockpit almost looks like a car. Delaney, it's got a mm -hmm. digital readout on the screen, um, a very comfortable interior. The cabin, as they said, has a 10 and a quarter inch touchscreen. This lineup is uh, coming in at a surprisingly, for me, a surprisingly low price. What do you think the MSRP is for the 2024 Maverick R? Um, 70000 Exactly. That's what I thought. It is $35,499. So uh, I expected this UTV to be much more expensive than where it apparently is going to be marketed at. That is definitely cheaper than I was envisioning, too. There you go. Well, Tanner, we've got the USDA weekly crop progress report as well as first day yields from the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. So I'll dig into these two headlines here. But as we look at the week ending August 20th, corn conditions fell slightly while soybean conditions remained the same. Corn in the dough stage as of Sunday, August 20th, was estimated at 78%, five percentage points ahead of last year's 73%. Dented corn was pegged at 35%, and conditions were rated 58% good to excellent, down just one percentage point from last week. They said the good to excellent ratings remained at 64% in Illinois and rose two percentage points in Iowa. So two notable states there. As I mentioned, crop conditions for soybeans remained the same, but 96% of soybeans are blooming as of this time. And pod setting stages were at 86%. Winter wheat harvest is inching towards completion, reaching 96% completed as of Sunday. The bulk of the work left is in Idaho, Montana, and Washington. And as we know, that's where we're seeing wildfires in some of the driest areas. So there may be some abandoned acres. Spring wheat harvest continued at a steady pace as well, moving ahead 15 percentage points at 39% completed as of Sunday. Crop conditions for spring wheat were pegged at 38%, good to excellent, down four percentage points from the week prior. Tanner, when we step into the fields in Ohio and South Dakota, the first two states on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour, we saw nearly 100 crop scouts jumping in and checking yields. The western leg, of course, starts in South Dakota and ends in Nebraska, and the eastern ends in Iowa here. But this time last year, Tanner, more than 36% of South Dakota was covered in drought, this year, the numbers dropped to just 14% of the state in drought, with very little of the state in severe and extreme drought categories. So that certainly helped bump up yields compared to last year. When we look at yield estimates for the 2023 crop growing season, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour put South Dakota yield standard at a 157.4 compared to 2022, which was just at a 118.4. Now, when we look at soybeans, they, of course, were looking there in fields as well, looking at pods and row count and whatnot. And their prediction is a 42 bushel per acre. So not quite as strong there for soybeans. 
But when we look at the Eastern leg, corn yield estimates came in at a 183.9. So above any sort of record yield we've ever set here as a national trend line yield compared to 2022 when Ohio was just at a 174. Soybeans, they also said looked really good in the Eastern leg. Uh, Talked to a couple of farmers. It sounded like that had planted soybeans, the earliest they ever had Tanner and soybeans are looking really strong in the Eastern leg as well. Really strong pod counts, really strong um, in their growth stage, pretty low moisture was the only thing there. Uh, that's going to be a little bit of a concern to watch is will they get some timely rains, but all in all, that is day one of the pro farmer crop tour. Yeah. I was kind of watching that as well. looks like uh, a lot of optimism for yields in the field. Ranchers price fixing lawsuit against the big four packers has been dismissed. The antitrust claims against the national, the nation's largest beef packers by a group of ranchers has been dismissed. Unfortunately, the federal judge in Minnesota Dismissed the claims filed by a punitive class of ranchers in a long-running case against the Big Four. Unfortunately, the U.S. District Court ruled Thursday that they lacked standing to pursue the central arguments. The ranchers can't refile their complaint without first gaining court approval on how they plan to amend their claims. The suit alleged the largest beef packers, JBS, Tyson, Cargill, and National Beef, conspired on an industry-wide scheme to widen the meat margins between the cost of live cattle and the price of processed beef. Further, the packers were accused of forcing the cost of cattle down, the price of beef higher through cartel tactics like coordinated procurement and slaughter restraint. The lawsuit alleged that four packers violated the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. JBS reached a $52.5 million class action settlement with beef wholesalers in September of 2022. This was uh, a decision that were too many stages in the beef supply chain that were owned by JBS and too much time between the rancher's sale of cattle and the meat purchased in the stores. So uh, that was the signal that drew this antitrust claim as far as the class action was put together. Unfortunately, that case has been dismissed. It'll be quite interesting, Delaney, as we we reported, uh, I think it was two weeks ago on Market Monday conversation about how right now there's a stalemate between packers and producers without uh, very much cattle inventory moving between the two of them currently. It'll be interesting to see the way this shakes out and if it sparks a resurgence in this class action suit. Tanner, and uh, speaking of one final piece of legislation here dealing with the protein industry, the EATS Act, which of course was created in opposition to California's Prop 12, has faced a pretty massive roadblocker. We've seen a large group of House lawmakers urge the leaders of the House Ag Committee to reject the EATS Act in the Farm Bill. Sounds like they were trying to lump it into the farm bill, Tanner, which, of course, probably pushed things back a little bit slower if it is not well received by folks on both sides of the aisle. But in a letter to Chairman G.T. Thompson and Ranking Member David Scott, the bipartisan group said that the bill could harm America's farmers, threaten numerous state laws, and infringe on the fundamental rights of states to establish their own laws and regulations within their own borders. So although 
the group of folks that put forward the EATS Act said it was helping agriculture. This letter is saying it's not helping U.S. agriculture. In fact, it's going to harm it. So it's going to be probably an interesting issue moving forward because there are definitely folks fighting for both sides of it pretty strongly, Tanner. But if it was added to the farm bill, like I said, it would probably prove to be a poison pill and would definitely push the farm bill efforts even further out for discussion, it sounds like. Yeah, that's interesting. I've just got uh, one last headline before heading to Russia and Ukraine to wrap up my news for today. Corteva has exclusive development and commercialization rights of Lavi Bio's biofungicide lineup. Lavi Bio is based in Israel and a subsidiary of Evogene LTD. This biofungicide targets fruit rots and powdery mildew. The license agreement comes after two years of independent field trials working together. They exclusively now will have rights to the uh, technology from Lavi Bio. As we look at Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine claimed an attack on base for Russia using supersonic bombers overnight, the second apparent aerial attack on the base in the last couple of days. A Russian fighter jet was destroyed or I'm sorry, a Russian fighter jet did destroy a, U- a Ukrainian rec- reconnaissance boat near the gas facility in the Black Sea. Uh, heavy Russian attacks killed a man in the southern Zap region. Ukrainian President Zelensky is still on his European tour that will continue through Athens, where he met with the European Commission uh, the other day. Ukraine uh, is set to receive those bombers, which he openly said thank you for in a press conference yesterday. And they'll continue to take a look. Bulgaria and Ukraine continue their grain talks. Zelensky met with uh, Bulgaria's Dekanov to discuss the cooperation of the Black Sea Green Green Grain Deal to hopefully secure that grain corridor again in the wake of Russia's withdrawals. We'll continue to keep an eye on what's happening over there. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I think I am all out of news then, aside from chatting markets. Where are we opening today? Well, as we head into the opening session, we are seeing a little bit of a mixed trade here, but not terribly lower here in the corn pit. September corn down just a quarter of a cent in the overnight at 4.69. These new crop corn unchanged compared to where we ended yesterday at 4.82 and a half. In the soybean pits, the September contract added three pennies to open at 13.73. New crop soybeans will be up a penny and a half to open at 13.63 and a quarter. Hard red spring wheat, excuse me, hard red winter wheat up five and a half cents at seven six seven forty six and a half. Spring wheat up three and three quarters at seven eighty six, and Chicago September wheat up four cents at six oh three and a quarter. A quick reminder: where markets closed yesterday, October live cattle added a dollar oh five at one seventy nine eighty seven. September feeder cattle up $1.80 at 250 32 and a half and October lean hogs down $1.50 at 8062 and a half. Tanner, we are chatting today with Intellinair to talk about a new partnership they have for the tech industry. So let's turn it over to that Tech Tuesday conversation. With the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. 
we're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the FarmSmart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Listeners, today we have Carlos with AWA and Orlando with Intellinaire, who recently both just announced a collaboration announcement. Before we get into that, though, I would like both of you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about the company that you both represent. Carlos Hirsch, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for AWA. I've been with the company for two years now, and the company focused on data management, data structuring for agriculture. You can apply then analytics and develop your own knowledge. We uh, were able to bring data and information from several different systems. Uh, they're very common in agriculture today, mostly in uh, precision ag, but also Excel spreadsheets, other kinds of files uh, connecting to databases and so on, and then apply analytics uh, once that data is organized all geospatially. So that's uh, what we're doing. Excellent. And uh, my name is Orlando Sainz. I'm the global business leader for Intellinaire. My responsibility is to do anything outside of the I states and global expansion. Intellinaire is an imagery and analytics provider, and we help prioritize acres uh, through regular alerts and reporting uh, for a number of different customers, uh, retail independent consultants, growers, and chemical manufacturers. Company's headquarters in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, we have an engineering center in Armenia. We've uh, started the company in 2015. We cover around 9 million acres uh, that we observe every day during the growing season, serving over 6,000 growers and, uh, and uh, a number of retail locations. And, and delighted to actually start this partnership with EWA as, as we're going to talk to you. Amazing. And it sounds like you both are very busy men. And like we chatted about a little bit before this, you're always on the road. So it sounds like both companies are always up to something new. Like we mentioned earlier, as in your recent announcement, it was said that the two companies entered into a multi-year research collaboration and distribution agreement. Could you two chat about what this will look like, both from AWA and Intellinaire's point of view? Well, we haven't we haven't discussed this, so this will be interesting. I'll give you my version, and Carlos can corroborate. But I visited with Carlos a few years back, and we had a common vision and a common goal and a similar problem. And the vision and goal was that we are passionate about serving customers, and the common goal was everything around stand count. A lot of what we do is for commercial farms, big farms, and uh, and commercial acres. Whereas what I learned was that Carlos and Nico, who I've met. We're very focused on research plots. So the fact that we have one common problem, um, it was like uh, uh, love at first sight. It's like, oh, we got we to gotta hang out and talk about this. And that was actually more than a year ago. So we've been working for a while behind the scenes, proving out the analytics. Um, uh, Carlos and the EWA team had very specific requirements. Again, where you're talking about research plots, um, the customers are highly technically oriented, and their orientation was very agronomically uh, driven by accuracy. And so we had been putting a lot of attention on our quality level, on our, our, our analytics. Um, but the rigor that EWA brought was actually significant to be able to drive this further. And so we both benefit from it. But it was basically stand count and plant height and corn and soybeans. And that was the use case that initiated this. And we're doing a lot of that now. 
But Carlos, what do you, what's, what's your version? Yeah, pretty much uh, that, that covers the story. What I, I would add is, as a company, we also started in, in developing imagery analytics, uh, more into maturity dates for soybean breeding uh, customers, is where AWA started back nine years ago. And we then switched our, our focus into data, more the data management and, and actually helping our customers, which are seed companies, crop protection companies, crop nutrition companies, and, and biologicals, to manage all of that agronomic data, not just a piece of the puzzle, and really build the puzzle for them. So at that time, we realized, hey, we can't not be focusing on both things, on, on managing and building a, a platform that manages all these kinds of data and also developing new analytics. So we, we started looking around, see who was uh, in the market that had, you know, high-quality imagery analytics beyond what we had already developed. And, and that's kind of the story where uh, Orlando was sharing that we met, started talking, had these good overlap between the technology that they had and, and the needs that we had and, and our customers were asking. So that's kind of how all this started. Jennifer, if I, and if I can add, this is a very good example and why we're excited uh, in that when companies collaborate, the customer wins. It's often in this industry particularly that when it's a matter of data sharing, it's a little tricky in terms of how companies achieve that. We had the same spirit of collaboration going in. E was trying to open the platform to be able to invite more partners to be able to drive analytics to the end users. We're trying to do the same. So it was really a meeting of the minds in terms of collaboration to be able to drive this uh, this use case. And uh, like I said, we didn't know. Our, our Even though stand count is the same and it's a use case that is very broad in terms of what people would like to do, the derivative or what the reason why people do stand count is very different. In our case, it was driven by replanting activity. Uh, in the research side for IWA, it was not related to that, but it was equally necessary. So again, an example of collaboration coming together, uh, customers win. Absolutely. And Orlando, you're leading perfectly into my next question as I want to discuss what benefits will come from this, the outcomes of this collaboration for your consumers. You touched on it a little bit, but could you dive into a little bit more of after a few years into this collaboration and seeing what you'll be able to create from it all, like you just mentioned, uh, how will the consumers and also your companies benefit from it a little more deeply? Well, I'll, I'll put one. I know Carlos has more ideas for this, but the one that I can add uh, to your question is, I think that the market is always looking for accurate and consistent results. And one of the things that flows through the analytics platform of what we're trying to do, then the principle is why do we need to build a different set of tools and algorithms for one particular use case, whether it's research and a different one for commercial? Our customers really want to see a flow through where they see analytics be applied from research all the way to the go to market to commercial application because that way you standardize the tools of collection and diagnostics and, and monitoring, and then you can apply very consistent outputs to no matter what, whether it's on the marketing side or commercial or in the research. So the reason we're excited is because we're trying to homogenize a particular technology that can be used from the point of research all the way to market. And I think that has huge value potential for our customers and, and the industry in general where you're trying to kind of figure out rules around ESG and, and metrics associated with how do you standardize uh, crop management practices using the same foundational analytic. We think that that's very powerful. 
Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Orlando. And uh, everybody knows those that have been in fields doing stain counts on, on, you know, by hand, you can walk with three people, four people, five people in the same field, and you're going to come out with three, four, five different numbers of what that stain count looks like. Um, not just that, but any other kind of measurement that you do, it's it, the, the variability of doing this kind of work by hand, it's immense. Um, and not, you know, putting on top of that, the actual weather conditions, you know, you start doing counts in the morning by 2 p.m. with the sun at 90 degrees on your head, those stain counts are probably even worse. So that consistency is key. And, and because our focus has been, you know, from research product placement and, and even uh, marketing uh, trials like this side-by-sides that the growers are very uh, familiar with, that process takes years, right? It's not only one season that you do that. Seeds or, or, or chemical products or, or biological products that are released in the market today, they've been in these programs or research programs for years, right? Five, six, seven years sometimes. So having consistent data throughout, you can potentially reduce the time of those products coming to market, with, which is a win for everybody, right? Uh, growers get better products faster. Companies can uh, release products in the market faster. And then everybody in agriculture wins. So it, it is. It can get pretty big pretty quick uh, when you put it in perspective. Yeah, this point of consistency, Carlos, is one that you and I lived uh, every day. In this industry, a trusted advisor is uh, is essentially kind of the doctrine or the Bible. Uh, you need to have a person, a human being in the middle to be able to qualify the authenticity and, uh, and source of truth of what's happening. Not until you grow through something from a human perspective, it's not good enough. And so what we're trying to do is really shift and make uh, create a different currency that the market can trust, which is related to technology, which is more tricky to do because people don't inherently trust technology. It takes quite a bit. We feel that to the point of being consistent, so long as we're consistent and accurate in a comprehensive way, we think that we can uh, overcome the the issues of uh, that bring variability into something that is so specific, a stand count and so much variability. And what we hope is that we can inspire the market and the industry to think that this is as good at, or if not better, than actually sending humans to actually do kind of a 40-plant count in one particular spot. Our technology can count every plant around every single acre um, using drone technology, which is um, something that is very unique and is a lot more comprehensive. You both bring up some amazing points, and I think listeners have learned so much from this interview. And although we have short interviews, there's no way that we can ever cover as much information as we would love to. Are there any final points that the two of you would like to talk about that the listeners would benefit from that we haven't yet? No, other than uh, we recognize and respect that in order to win this particular race or the, the journey that we have, just like farming, it's a marathon and it's a series of sprints and this is long term. So our commitment to what we're doing, particularly with the agreement that we have with EWA, it's a long term multi-year commitment because there's a lot that we're going to learn from the market, from the way that our, our technology works and function of the user. And we're excited to what happens next, but it's going to be a while and we look forward to this being a long term uh, relationship and, and uh, hopefully a big impact to the industry. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that that I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the call. We're based in St. Louis, Missouri. 50% of our, our business is done here in the U.S. Uh, we do 30% of our, our sales in Brazil, 20% in Argentina. So we, we cover uh, most, the, the most acres globally, I'd say, for corn and beans, 
around the world, and we do help these research programs globally. So if if you're interested, just uh, reach out to us via our website or or directly emailing uh, me. So and and Orlando. So we're uh, we're happy to continue the progress with this. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. With the Farm Smart Podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientactsolutions.com slash farmsmart. That's great. Another Tech Tuesday behind us. Always like sharing the latest in agricultural news on these days. But we still have more shows coming this week, so don't go too far. Stick up, stick with us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to the Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or visiting NutrienAgSolutions.com slash Farm Smart if you want to check it out. Absolutely, Tanner. But with that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go.